that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Thank you. It's good Yay. to see everybody tonight, especially, hey, Cam. Hey. Hey. Welcome home. How long are you here for? When are you going to head back? Uh, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Cam's driving a car. New Woo! car. He owns it and everything. <laughs> That's what happens when you go out and make some money. <laughs> Buy your car. There you go. Um, so welcome. Glad you're here. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's take a few moments. We're going to pray. And we're going to get to it. See what God has to say. Father, thanks for... Time to meet, place to meet, thanks for your presence. Welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this place. Welcome you, Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence in us. We ask God that you have your way. Lead and guide this time. I pray, Father, we'd be open to what you want to say, open to the revelation that you want to bring tonight. And I do ask you for revelation tonight. I ask God things that maybe we had never thought of, things that we've never even looked at. Things that have, have never even crossed our mind before, I pray that they would be something we could receive. Something we could hear. Something, God, that we could take into our lives tonight. So, we ask you, move by your Holy Spirit. We ask you, teach us by your Holy Spirit. We ask you, reveal, enlighten, illumine by your Holy Spirit. Everywhere. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Chronicles 21. Do you have a Bible? You can probably find one somewhere for you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one over. Or you might be able to see one laying around if you need use. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21, and I need a volunteer willing to read verse 26. David built an altar to the Lord there, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. 
Great. Thanks for reading that. Okay, this is uh, a retelling of the same account that we were reading in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Last time we met, we talked a little bit about Arona and how David had purchased his threshing floor. You guys remember this at all? Yeah. All right. And so uh, he had purchased the threshing floor, and we talked about costly worship. Uh, that was the last thing we were really looking at, costly worship. And the idea that a sacrifice has to cost you something, or you're being dishonest about really the meaning of the word. Uh, sacrifice means it's going to cost you something. And so to claim to have a sacrifice that does not cost you anything isn't really a sacrifice that you're making at all. And it's dishonoring to what we're called to do. So, uh, we don't want to contradict the essential idea of sacrifice in our life. So, that's what was going on there. And this account in First Chronicles, I'm not going to get too much into the history of it, but what had happened was that David had sinned by numbering the people. And I'm sure he had sinned in other ways. He's done other sins. We we have a count of at least one other sin of David. But that's not mentioned here. None of that's all mentioned here. This is specific to his sin of numbering the people. And there's an atonement that has to be made for that. Uh, remember, this is Old Testament. This is still God working through a system that he established that would begin to prepare the people to understand what would be required. And so David had done something he shouldn't have done, and uh, this is where he ended up. And so he's going to make sacrifice on the threshing floor of Arana. Now, the location of that uh, place is Mount Moriah. What do you know about Mount Moriah? Anything? Nada? Zilch? Yeah, yeah, so Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac there, so that's one of the things that you know about this place, is that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac at Mount Moriah. This is also where David comes, he buys his threshing floor, and he makes this sacrifice. What happens is, is that this then establishes and fixes the temple site for being right here. So the temple was built on this spot that David establishes at the threshing floor of Arana. So, in other words, this is where Abraham and Isaac were. This is where David is. He's putting out the sacrifice. He built an altar there. He makes the sacrifice. And there's something interesting about the account in First Chronicles compared to the account in Second Samuel in that when it describes what happens in the account in First Chronicles, it says the Lord answers him. How does it say the Lord answers him in First Chronicles? What was just read? Fire. He answers him with fire. Alright, so the people take note. The people take note of God's answer by fire in this place. And so this altar becomes a specific spot that God sets apart through his answer by fire. And this becomes the spot where they end up building the temple because of this. 
And so you look at the history of it, you look at Abraham and Isaac, you look at David, you look at God answering by fire, and they decided, okay, this is the spot for the temple. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is all Jerusalem. What we would know as and what would become greater Jerusalem. Now, understand that you know, before, Jerusalem really wasn't a huge place. Okay? And so, some of the places that are described that were around Jerusalem in the Bible now are in Jerusalem. Okay? And you know, kind of like how, if you look at the history of New York City, how New York City expanded and went out and just encompassed areas that were around it. So you start in Manhattan, but then you begin to move outward, and you got the boroughs, you've got Staten Island, you've got Brooklyn, the Bronx, uh, Queens. All these boroughs, you know, started off their own thing. They're, they're each their own county. But they became, and within each of these counties, there were little towns and little places where people lived. But because of the expanse of the city expanded it, it took it all over. Now it's just New York City. So Jerusalem was smaller and then began to expand outward. So Mount Moriah got engulfed by Jerusalem. And so it just became a part of Jerusalem, became a part of the city. And specifically this part became where they built the temple. And so later on, once the temple was built, they called it Temple Mount, you know, or whatever you want to describe it as. I'm sure there's other names too, but at this point, it hadn't become that. A guy was threshing his wheat there. It was a farm, you know, a place of processing food. Until David bought it, built an altar, made a sacrifice, got answered by fire, and all of a sudden, oh, this little temple here, all right. Now, what does the temple represent? God's presence, yeah. This is the God with us. So, we build this temple. It's a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice. It's also a place of, in a sense, it's a place of order for society. In other words, uh, things were done there. uh, Decisions were made there. uh, People that were sick would have to present themselves there. There are all kinds of things that happened that brought order to society. Right? And so once it was built, they'd used the tabernacle for that. They'd used whatever the tent of meeting was at the time for that. But it was basically wherever the priests were. And so as the temple was built, you see that function taking place. So you got God's presence, you got the place of worship, place of sacrifice. It was a place where people were educated. It was a place where the priesthood served, for the place of service, and it had all of these functions, and more. And so, it's significant that we understand the function, at least some of the basic functions of the temple, to understand a statement like, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Alright, so if you understand what does it mean that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You say, well, well, that means the Holy Spirit lives in me. Okay. Yeah, if you're like five years old, that's a good explanation. <laughs> All right, that's good. But it means more than that. And if you begin to, if you begin to understand 
what the function of the temple was, you begin to understand that that means more than the Holy Spirit, and you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit functions in you, and he has certain functions that he brings about in you and through you. And it's all part of whatever that was, as you look at the basic, the basic functions of the temple. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you have no need for any human teachers because the Spirit himself will teach you. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Well, one of the functions of the temple was a place where people would learn. Right? So, the idea is that the Holy Spirit still is teaching people in the temple. But where is the temple? In me. In you. And so that verse I just quoted, well, that's a New Testament verse, right? But you got to have some understanding to put it into context as to what that actually means in your life. It means that you have an expectation that God is going to live in you and he's going to teach you. You have an expectation that you are, you, you represent the very presence of God. That the very presence of God is with you. And you represent that to people who see you, just like the temple did. Now you're moving and you're living and you're breathing. And so you become of, of great value to the work of the kingdom because as a living, breathing, moving temple of the Holy Spirit, you can be in a lot more places and you can be over time in a lot more circumstances and see a lot more people than that fixed structure that was standing in Jerusalem. So strategically, strategically, it's important that you understand your function as the temple. I mean, when Jesus got lost, he wasn't really lost. His parents just thought he was lost when he was like 12 or whatever, when they had come to Jerusalem, and they had to come back looking for him. Where'd they find him? In the temple. What was he doing in there? He was teaching and learning, right? Because that's what you did there. What you do there. And so, think about the temple as bringing some type of order and healing. Think about the temple as being and bringing some type of reassurance. A place of sacrifice. And Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies, which is... Your body is what? The, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as a reasonable act of worship. Or your spiritual act of worship. Yeah, well, okay, that makes sense in context to what the temple is all about. We, we don't have an altar that we're sacrificing goats on and sheep. Alright, but God called us to sacrifice our bodies as a living sacrifice. And in Hebrews, it says that we have an altar that the people that came before us, the Jewish people that don't know Jesus, that they can't even approach that altar. We have an altar that we can approach, that they can't. Right? Right. And, and so, again, it's understanding more of who we are. It's understanding more of what God means by what He says in certain things. You know, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means what it does mean. It means life and training and power and presence and healing and wholeness and order, learning, teaching, the prophetic, worship. It's all those things and more. But let's start with those. Let's start with those as being some elementary functions of the temple. Meaning elementary functions of us. Us. So interesting, like I said, the Lord answers David here. That's one of the first things I noticed about this. David had built an altar, and the Lord had spoken to him about building an altar. And as soon as God said to David, build me an altar, what he was saying was reconciliation. He said, I'm about to fix this. I'm about to fix this issue that you started. I'm about to fix this issue that you caused by your bad decision. I'm about to fix this issue that's a result of whatever lapse in judgment that you had as the leader of a nation. I'm about to fix it for you. What I want you to do is build an altar. That's what I want you to do. In other words, what he's looking for, what he's going to be looking for was some sacrifice, some praise, alright? He's going to be looking for some offerings. says, what did David put on the altar? He put on offerings and friendship offerings. So he put on it. Offerings and friendship offerings. Because that's his expectation. You know, David was friends with God? Yeah. And so when God said, build me an altar, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting that one of the first things he mentioned he puts down there was an offering. Okay, well, that makes sense, an altar. What kind of offering? A friendship offering. Why? Because they're friends. Right. Okay. Okay. And so God's saying through that, and that call, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and sensible, which is a reasonable, or your spiritual act of worship. See, you got to hear in that reconciliation. you got to hear in that God's presence, because that's what he's saying when he says that. We're not hearing, oh, I wonder what I'm going to lose if I do that. Nothing. you got everything to gain. Everything to gain. When, David, when he told David, like, build me an altar, he said, reconciliation, God's presence. That's what he was telling him. That's what he heard, too. He heard friendship, relationship, life together. God with me. That's what he heard when he heard that. He didn't run away from sacrifice. He didn't run away from the altar. He didn't try to get away with it or get out of it. All he heard was reconciliation and God's presence. That's what he heard. Built himself an altar, built that altar for God, and he offered his friendship offer. You know, David expected to meet with God. He did. That's why he offered the friendship offer. He he expected to meet with God. And we need to have that expectation. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you're all those things I mentioned before. And God's presence is part of that. you got to have some kind of expectation 
of meeting with God. You have some kind of expectation of being with God. You have some kind of expectation of His presence in your life if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why do you believe you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Anybody tell me. Why? Because he said so, right. Right. Otherwise, he just made it up. But he said so, so he didn't make it up. He says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, then what are your expectations of the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, you better have some. You should really have some. If you never do anything about it, if you never live it, if you never experience it, you miss it. You're missing the point. Is Mary here? Good, I'll tell you I'll tell you a story. <laughs> goes really fast. And so Mary asked if she could drive it. I'm like, yeah, you can drive it. And she's like, I want to get out on the highway. I'm like, alright, so went out on a 481, because hardly ever about 41. So drove up there. First thing she did when she got off the ramp on the 481 is hit the accelerator pedal and took it over 100 miles an hour. You know why? Because she could. Because that car goes really fast. It doesn't take, it, you know, it's less than 10 seconds. You know, faster than that. And she hit, the, she hit the accelerator and she went over 100 miles an hour. She just wanted to go over 100 miles an hour. Then, then it just, she let it coast down to something reasonable. And uh, afterwards she pull off, pull off. She was done. We switched places and that's all she was going to do. <laughs> Now, all I want to say about that is this. It's like, you can tell everybody you want that, okay, all right, there's this car, all right? It's a car. And I'll tell you a concept about it. It, it. it goes fast. And the way you make it go fast is you push the long, skinny one, that pedal, <laughs> and you push it down, and it goes fast. That's how you do it. And so you get out on a nice open road. I'm just telling you how it happens, right? You get on a nice open road. You press down the long skinny pedal, and that thing's going to take off, and it's going to go really fast. Are you satisfied with that? You may be, because maybe you don't want to go fast. But do you hear what I'm saying? If that's all you need is for me to tell you how to do it, I think you're missing the point. You see, Mary didn't miss the point. Mary made a decision she wanted to go fast. She found a vehicle that could get her going that fast, Asked the driver, got on the road where she could go fast enough, far enough to do what she wanted to do. And you know what she did? She stomped down the long, skinny pedal until it went as fast as she wanted to go. It wasn't an idea. It wasn't a concept. It wasn't just something we talked about. It wasn't something she memorized the process for. It wasn't something that she could describe to other people in great detail. It was. I want to experience this, I want to live it. And there's only one way to do it, that's to get in it and to do it. One thing for me to tell you about the Holy Spirit. I tell you how awesome the Holy Spirit is. I tell you how great the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. I tell you about His power. I tell you about His presence. 
I can tell you about when He speaks to you, how great that is. I can tell you when He gives you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or the prophetic word that flows through. I'll tell you all about it. I tell you the, the thrill there is in laying your hands on somebody if they request it during prayer time. And then being healed. I can tell you the thrill behind that. I can tell you the thrill behind watching a miracle take place. I can tell you the thrill behind signs and wonders and miracles and all those things happening. I can tell you all about it. Alright? I wouldn't do this. I could write a book, though, and give you like maybe 12 steps on how you could do it, too. And you could read those 12 steps, memorize it, and, and you'll know all about it, too. But nothing I just said is the Holy Spirit for you in your life. You, you have to receive Him. And you have to allow Him to flow through you. You have to have some kind of an expectation to experience and live in it. You. Not me. I already do that. Alright? You. And some of you already do too. I'm not saying you don't. I'm talking to the yous that don't do that. And I want to encourage you that it, it and, I, and I just want to shake a little bit. I want to shake a little bit of idea here in you. That's enough just to know about it. It's not. It's not. I'd rather you know nothing and the Holy Spirit was flowing through you. They need to know everything and not have the power of God flowing for you. Okay? Um, yeah. Jesus had an expectation for us. You've seen the miracle God done, he said. You'll do even greater. But the only way we're going to do that is to get in and get moving. So the Holy Spirit, when David called upon the name of the Lord, God answered by fire. And the Hebrew there is more explicit. God answered by fire from heaven. It's the Hebrew. Just in case you're wondering. Maybe it was spontaneous combustion? No. God answered by fire from heaven. Explicitly stated. Alright, let's look at a few of those. You ready? If you want the Bible and God answers by fire, what do you think? Somebody look at Leviticus 9.24. Leviticus 
First Kings eighteen twenty one. Keep going. Keep going. And the Keep going. Then I will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of my Lord, and God will answer by fire, and he is God. Yeah. Keep going. And then I will keep my covenant with my God, and I will keep his covenant with my God. And he will be my God, and I will be his
Okay, that each of these things God's establishing something. I want you to see the story. He's establishing his presence. He's establishing an altar. He's establishing his rulership. Whether or not, you know, and you think of Israel, oh, well, they already knew. Well, they did turn. Their leadership, their queen had influenced their king, and their king had turned them away from the Lord. And Elijah was bringing them back. This is what he was doing with this. So he's establishing something through that. It's an important moment that he's answering by fire. Same in Leviticus, same that you see coming up. Okay, so somebody look at Second Kings one twelve. Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Alright, now, this story, is it just the, uh, if I've got the right story, it happens more than once. Alright, these guys keep showing up, and he's like, Yeah, no. And then they just keep getting consumed. And so finally, the last guy shows up, he's like, my master. Um, and it's kind of interesting again. What, what do you hear from that? What do you see from that? You got the king. He's coming to get him, right? He's sending out his army to get him because in the army, the arm of the king isn't the army, the, the, the arm of the ruler. I mean, that's what it is. And so he is flexing his muscle, telling Elijah, I'll show you who's boss, what God said. Who's boss? <laughs> Not Tony Danza. Who's the boss? <laughs> well, it's God. And, and it's, it's God said, yeah, bring out your 50. All right, bring out your 100. Bring out however many you want. But when he answers with fire from heaven, it's a message. It's a message. It's a reminder. It's something that is establishing a truth, it's establishing a place, it's establishing something. And that's what you see. Reestablishing truth, reestablishing rulership, reestablishing authority. That's what you see happening. When I look at Second Chronicles 7 and verse 1, and this is not an exhaustive list that God's answered by fire is. Second Chronicle seven one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in our line of what we're looking at, this hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's a Solomon dedicating the temple after the temple's been built. But you know what? It's the same place as this. And God answers by fire again. And establishes, establishes that place. Establishes that word. Now, one thing I want you to notice about the fire, I'm not really gonna I'm not really gonna dwell on this. I, I just want you to I just want you to hear me. What's the focus on? So look at the issue with David. 
David had sinned. You know, we tend to focus on that. Or we've been taught to. If you grew up in the church, you were taught to focus on your dirty sin. Okay? That's what we were taught. Here's the problem with that. In this case, David, who had fallen and made terrible decisions, he had sinned and was causing problems for his whole nation. I mean, this wasn't just, oh, you know, I forgot to read the Bible today. This wasn't, oh, I said a bad word and that person who cut me off in my car. It wasn't anything like that. Okay? This was, he's, he's costing his nation something. People are suffering because of him. And so he built this altar and he put the sacrifice on the altar and the Bible says God answered him. God answered him. How did he answer him? How did he answer his friendship offering? How did he answer that offering he was making to the Lord? How did he answer David's expectation for his presence and his friendship? He consumed the sacrifice with fire. Now, according to the way we were taught, you were taught, not that's what I was, I wasn't really taught anything, but the way that people are taught in church, what should the fire have fallen on? David. If you were right, and and, and, and Sister Mary, uh, whatever her name is, Harold was right, or whoever, then the fire would have fallen on David. But the truth of the matter is, the fire fell on a sacrifice. Consumed the sacrifice. You see, David didn't have an expectation the fire was going to fall on him. He had an expectation for friendship and God's presence. He didn't have an expectation. He saw the, the opportunity of sacrifice as reconciliation. That's why Jesus makes sense. These people were set up for Jesus. Because they understood this nature of sacrifice. Sacrifice is being laid on the altar. Sacrifice is being made. The fire of God comes down and consumes the sacrifice. Well, and people are like, I don't see how that makes any sense. I'm the sinner. Well, yeah. David was the sinner. Right? But when the altar is built and the sacrifice is put on the altar, that is God's word to us of reconciliation. God understand it that way. That's His word of reconciliation. His word of life, His word of forgiveness, His word of His presence. And that's exactly what David expected. <clears throat> and so God, fire rains down, and instead of consuming David, consumes the sacrifice. Now, I hope you can understand the significance of how that needs to affect your thinking if you think the other way. I hope you can understand it. I'm not sure how to simplify it anymore. That the whole way of thinking that centers around that is wrong. And that's why Jesus makes sense. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. And so when the fire descended from on high, to consume the sacrifice, it didn't consume all of us, it consumed him. And so in the sense that the fire of God 
bring a judgment. In the sense that the fire of God consumes the sacrifice, that's Jesus, not us. You see, the altar of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, says reconciliation. The sacrifice and the altar of Jesus says the presence of God. It says relationship with God. That's what it says. And that needs to be our expectation. Even if it wasn't in the past, that's what it needs to be now. And it makes perfect sense. See, these people were set up to understand it. We weren't. In fact, even after the fact, even after, after, the New Testament was written, after the history of Jesus was written down, after, we had all this understanding and revelation about what God has done through Christ. It became easier to control people by making them feel guilty than by setting them free. And so some decision was made, this is what we're going to do. It became orthodoxy and people were made to feel guilty instead of set free. And I just actively reject it. Actively. You will be more effective for the kingdom as a free man or a free woman than you will ever be motivated by guilt or shame. You will be more effective with the Holy Spirit flowing through you as a person at liberty than you ever will for the person who is hiding from God and others. I hope you can understand that. And so God says, we got a new altar, a new place to sacrifice, David built under the direction of God. God responds to David by fire. Consumes the sacrifice, and there's a divine inauguration that takes place there. Alright, this is the spot. This is the new place for sacrifice, this is the spot, and they built a temple right on it. So they could keep sacrificing, they could keep making the offering, they could still do what they were doing. This was the place that God said, right here, right now. And that was his word. Let's just turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll finish this thing up in time. I got it. Acts chapter 2. Somebody read verse 3 of Acts chapter 2. They saw it seems to be touching the fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay, this is the day of Pentecost. A lot of people call it the birthday of the church. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 120 in the upper room. The Bible says that they were in one accord. Uh, some people believe they've been praying all night because it was in the morning time when this happened. But they were in one accord. In other words, they were in exceptional unity there in that place. As they were in exceptional unity there in that place, they heard a sound. So it's physical manifestation. And it was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Then there's another physical manifestation where each of them saw fire and I'm going to give you a literal translation of what that means. They, they use this word cloven. That's kind of a bad translation. Uh, some of your Bibles may say something else, but literally the picture of it is and the idea behind it is that tongues are being, tongues of fire are being divided and distributed. In other words, if I were to put it in like a, a way that we would normally use language, it would be like a shower of fiery tongues. A shower of fiery tongues. Alright? Which is being blown out on everybody in the upper room. Alright? So picture the heavens opening and a shower of fiery tongues is falling on everybody. Or, if you prefer, think of a fire hose being ripped off the wall, opened up, and just, just throwing out fiery tongues and you're spraying everybody in the room, however you want to see it. But that's not what's happening. Now, I want you to think about two things about that. I want you to think of the significance of fire that we're talking about, but I also want you to think about the idea that these tongues, this fire, was not consuming these people. Right? It wasn't consuming these people because they weren't the ultimate sacrifice. Who was the sacrifice? Jesus. Jesus. But they were being set apart. They were, it was being spoken over them that this is where God dwells. It was being spoken over them that this is the new place. This is it. Just like he spoke uh, you know, it was Mount Moriah. This is the place. They built a temple. When they say, all right, well, you're the place. You're the place. And it would take, I don't know how many years after this. It might have been 30 or 40 years after this. Could have been that long before somebody wrote down, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God was saying that right then. For them to understand. Anybody that would have the understanding would have understood when they saw the shower of fiery tongues that was being poured out, every person in there, you're it. I'm it. This is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's who we are. A new identity. A new understanding. This is the temple. This is the presence of God. This is where He dwells. Friendship with God. Relationship with God. All of these things. Where is it? In you and me. They got it. They got it. On each person's head. <coughs> so what I want you to think about, and this was also 
a uh, answer of prophecy. Let me look at Matthew 3.11 before we get into this anymore. Matthew 3.11. Preach the gospel, people heard them in their own languages. 
and saw thousands of people come to know Jesus that day. Who? Them. Them. The fire means something. Fire means something. But you gotta recognize it. But the long skinny pedal means something. But you gotta mash it down to figure it out. Alright? As you can tell, you can somebody tell you about it, but you gotta really press it down to get it moving, don't you? And so, you know, the power of God is not an idea or a concept, really. You live it. The power of God isn't something that's a historical fact, it's reality now. The power of God is something that we need to grab hold of and live in, not just talk about. And those of you who know me for a while, I, I used to keep a journal of every miracle I was ever part of. Or as a notebook, and I just write stuff down, and God convicted me one day, he's like, stop writing. This needs to be something you're doing every day. That's something you read about in 10 years. That was the end of that. <laughs> I don't remember most of the stuff in it now. we got to live it. And if nothing's happening, you know what I need to do? Live it. I need to mash that pedal down and go. That's why I encourage you tonight. Take a moment, pray, respond. Let the Holy Spirit say to you. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, reminders. And thank you for setting, setting people and places and things apart for your service, your work, your power. Thank you, God, that we are called to a place that the many generations before Jesus, they, they weren't called to the same place we are. They weren't given the same opportunity we are. They weren't given the same freedom or liberty that we've been given. And so, Jesus, I want to say thanks for that. I want to say thanks for the sacrifice that you made that I might live at liberty and in freedom. I want to thank you for the sacrifice that you made that it really set me free to serve and to be used I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in shame. But you desire, you created me to live freely and at liberty. So God, tonight I want to take hold of that. And I really want to take hold of your power tonight. You empowered us for a reason. You empowered us to be people of signs and and wonders and miracles. You empowered us to be a people that will go out and preach your word, confirming your word with signs and wonders following. You empowered your people 
He said, all authority has been given you in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Who? Me. As showers of, of, of fire. Fiery showers are poured out on me. I can go in that power. I can go set apart. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your friendship. Thank you for relationship. Thank you for your love tonight. I receive all that. And I proclaim all that. And I thank you for all that. I pray that people would begin to move into your power more. I pray we begin to move into a confidence a boldness that we haven't had. A confidence and a boldness to, to speak with power and authority. A confidence and a boldness to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit with more power and more authority. A confidence and a boldness to really experience what you say. To live what you say. Not just memorize it or talk about it or try to dissect it, but to really live it. Let's want more, God. And I pray as we'll cry out in our hearts for more. We'll cry out in our mind for more. We'll cry out with our voice, our spirit for more. We'll put our foot on what we need to put our foot on and get it moving. Let's do it. Fear go in the name of Jesus. Lies go in the name of Jesus. to be free. Give you thanks tonight. Give you praise. As he says in Jesus' name. You understand? Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 